0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candice Keener joined by fellow editor Katie Lambert. Hello, Candice. Hi, Katie. It doesn't take much to get Katie and me talking about Marie Antoinette. And I was so excited when we got an email from Matt and... Middletown, Maryland, who wrote, Hey Candace and Jane, pre-Katy, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and I certainly love a juicy, eerie mystery. One of my favorite podcasts in particular was the podcast you did a couple of months ago on the Pied Piper of Hamelin. I was wondering if I could possibly get another dose of that same kind of crazy mystery with any stories of historical ghosts or poltergeists. In particular, I've heard an extremely juicy book about two women that visited the gardens of Versailles and experienced some extremely eerie ghost encounters. What is the history of this situation, and could you possibly divulge into any other fascinating ghost stories of the past? I was really intrigued by Matt's email because I'd never heard of the book, so I wrote him back, and he wrote me back. We had a a lovely little correspondence going, and he told me the title. I looked it up, got it, read it. And he pointed out that it, to quote him again, combines two interesting eras with the medium and spirit infatuation of the late 1800s and early 1900s and the French Revolution. And he's absolutely right. And since Katie and I started doing this multi-part series on historical ghosts, it was a perfect fit. And before we get too much into the history
0: of the place, I'd like to set the scene a little bit. So we're going to travel back to 1901. And two English ladies are on their way to Versailles, and they're headed to the Petit Trianon, which was Marie Antoinette's own private little hamlet. And as they're walking along, it's deserted. They get lost. They don't quite know where they are. They see a plow by the road. And as they keep walking, they start to feel anxious and depressed, and everything around them gets kind of dim. And they meet these strangely dressed men who try to point the point the way to Petit Trianon, and then they meet a very unpleasant, scarred man who frightens them, and a running man who comes up and tells them where to go until they actually get to the Petit Trianon, and they see a wedding party, and the mood lifts, and they go on their way.
1: And they, in the afternoon, by having tea and going back to their hotel in Paris, and they don't talk about what happened for a couple of months. And then it just so happens that one day they're writing letters and writing their accounts of what happened, just, you know, for uh, their friends back home. And one turns to the other and says, Do you think the Petit on is haunted? And absolutely is their response, which is so strange because they hadn't shared with each other how depressed and how heavy their moods had gotten when they were wandering through the grounds, even though both of them felt that they were, they were being good friends and good traveling companions and trying to, you know, buck up and go about the tour. But they couldn't explain the strange feeling. And what's more, when they started sharing their experiences and recalling the sights that they'd seen, they realized that the other had seen things that the other hadn't. And the most uh, poignant sight that one had missed was a woman with a sketch pad who was dressed in a very strange period costume. She had very fluffy hair, on top of which was perched a hat. And her face was described as being a little bit older and supposedly attractive. Like the woman could tell that she was supposed to find her a a pretty woman, but she didn't. There was something unsettling about her. And later she would conclude that that was actually Marie Antoinette. So let's go a little bit into the history of Trianon. Yes. Like Katie mentioned, this was Marie Antoinette's pleasure house. It was a gift from her husband, Louis XVI. It's a three-story building that was originally erected by Louis Fifteen for his mistress, Madame Pompadour. But Marie Antoinette grew very fatigued of life at court when she was on the throne alongside her husband. And so to uh give her an escape from the rigors of court, he offered her Petit Trianon. And later, she decided to embellish the house with a little hamlet, like Katie mentioned, too. A very rustic countryside town with pretend farmhouses and pretend farm equipment. It was all very much a product of her imagination, but it was incredibly expensive. It cost about two million francs to build And supposedly, while she was there, she had a very, well, this is true, she had a very exclusive coterie that was invited to visit. But supposedly, she had affairs with Hans Axel von Fersen and the Duchess de Polignac.
0: And on October 5th, 1789, Marie Antoinette was at the Petit Trianon when a messenger came to tell her that a mob from Paris was on its way to Versailles, a violent mob from Paris with the idea of either capturing or killing her and Louis Sixteenth, And that's why that date figured so strongly in her mind on August 10th in 1792, which is, oddly, the date in 1901 that the two ladies had gone to Versailles, and they believed that they had time-slipped into one of Marie Antoinette's memories. And August 10th was a significant date, because that's when she and Louis were on trial in the Hall of the Assembly, And they had seen their Swiss guards massacred in the Tuileries.
1: Right. So this this time slip or time travel, it's just it's very strange for me to wrap my head around, especially as far as ghost stories go. Because when I think of a ghost story and when I heard about this one from Matt, I guess I imagined that the women would be on the grounds of Versailles and they would run into Marie Antoinette and it would be, oh, a ghostly encounter. But it goes a step Further than that, it's almost like a a being John Malkovich moment where they're in her mind and things are sort of foggy and less bright and less clear. They're living through her experiences, but they're seeing her years ago. So it would have been Marie Antoinette in 1792 remembering Marie Antoinette in 1789. Does everyone have (laughs) layers? More layers than an onion and an ogre. So just to get with the story. These two women, they decide to write down their accounts separately without one informing the other so that they can be as accurate as possible. And they appeal to the Society for Psychical Research to investigate Trinon on the grounds that there may be ghosts there. But their claim is denied. So they decide to investigate the matter for themselves. And being two academics,
0: they did quite a bit of research everywhere from
1: the Conservatory of Music in Paris to the National Archives And that's another reason that they used pseudonyms to write the book. They didn't want their names to be damaged in academic circles. So not until their death did it come out that they were two women of, of good intellectual means.
0: They published An Adventure in 1911 under the names of Miss Morrison and Miss Lamont. And the book was pretty sensational and much talked about, but also widely criticized, until again, after their deaths, it came out that these were two very well-respected women. They were the principal and vice principal of St. Hugh's College in Oxford.
1: And in their account, they claimed they had 20 points of coincidence, which couldn't be coincidental, uh, no pun intended. All of these items and things and people that they had seen smacked of 1789, but they were seeing them in 1901. And there were subsequent visits that they also took to train on. Um, after the first visit on August 10th, 1901, Miss Lamont went on her own January 2nd, 1902. And on that date, she also time slipped, becoming lost in very dense woods and feeling enclosed by a huge crowd of people with rustling silk skirts, but with no one around. Then they went back for the third time and then the fourth time on July 7th, 1904 and July 9th. And they were with a a companion on one of those days, and there were many, many tourists there on another day, and they found that the grounds were, as they said, entirely changed. They were smaller, more compact, cleaner. Before, there had been this sort of romantic tangle of grasses and weeds and flowers and rocks and streams and and little buildings, and none of that was there anymore. It's a totally
0: different landscape. Well, and that was the cool thing for me about the book was the level of detail, because they do go being academics point by point with footnotes and appendices and illustrations to show exactly what they were seeing
1: and then a rebuttal to any possible questions. Exactly. And one of the rebuttals that they said, and I'm actually going to quote the whole thing, they asserted, Both of us have inherited a horror of all forms of occultism. We lose no opportunity of preaching against them as unwholesome and misleading because they mostly deal with conditions of physical excitement. And they go on to add to that. But the point being, they're saying we are basing this entirely on facts. So let's go over some of those facts. And the one I'd like to begin with is the specter of Marie Antoinette that they supposedly saw. And the woman who described her as aforementioned said she was supposedly an attractive woman, with very fluffy hair. And later on, she saw a very famous portrait of Marie Antoinette, which had long been hailed as the queen's most accurate likeness. And here's the eerie part. The queen was wearing the exact same outfit and the portrait as the ghost was on the grounds of Petit Trianon. And it was the
0: Wertmüller portrait, which is supposed to be one of the most identical likenesses to Marie Antoinette the one that actually looks like her, unlike many portraits of the period.
1: Exactly. And beginning with their their steps, tracing their steps throughout the grounds where they get lost. And again, they tell in the book that they come to Versailles with no preconceived notions of what they're going to see. They're not entirely familiar with the history of the palace. And they wanted to conduct their travels in France in a chronological order of some sort. I'm not quite sure what they meant by that, presumably with the events leading up to the revolution, but they went to Versailles a couple of days early and they were using a certain map and lost their way. And one of the first strange items that appeared to them was this plow. And the plow was definitely not contemporary to 1901. For one reason, there was no need for a plow on the grounds. They were handled in an entirely different maintenance sort of way And it was one from the pre-Louis XVI era that had been relegated to use as a prop at Trianon. It was later sold off after the couple was deposed. So why would it have been there? And a lot
0: of the details about the people they ran into, such as the costuming, they later found out were related to events of the period. Like they'd seen these men in green coats and had assumed at the time that they were gardeners. But the more research they did, they realized that Marie Antoinette's Swiss guards wore green and that modern gardeners actually were black in most seasons and white in the summer. And the very unpleasant man that they saw with the scarred face looked very much like the Comte de Vaudreuil, I'm sorry if I'm not saying that correctly, who was scarred by smallpox and was an enemy of Marie Antoinette's, who in fact betrayed her.
1: And that's a point of contention that I found between the book itself and some other research that I did, I, I read that at one time he was a member of this coterie that was welcome at Trianon, but he wanted Marie to ask Louis' permission to play a part in uh, the marriage of Figaro, which was, as the woman said, a politically dangerous play. So they would have been friends, but then that friendship would have gone sour, which might explain why he was giving off such a, a strange air of, of evil when the women saw him.
0: Exactly. Louis had said that if they put on that play, that it was, it was likely that the
1: Bastille would be stormed. And after the storming of the Bastille, not too long after came the mob of Parisian women that marched to Versailles to take Marie and Louis. So. The dangers of art. <laughs> Point taken. They also found a kiosk. Uh, they continually called it a kiosk. I'm not sure if that's the most appropriate name for the structure, but it was composed of seven ionic columns and a domed roof. And they later found evidence of this and plans that had been sketched for Trianon, but it certainly was not present in 1901. Also, that
0: running man that they saw, they believed to have been the page who ran to tell Marie Antoinette that the mob was on its way. And at the time, it said that she suggested just going back through the forest to get back to Petit Trianon and, and to leave the grounds, but he said no, and that he would run and get a coach to come and get her instead. And they said that both times they saw this running man, he was breathless, but seemed to come out of nowhere, and then disappeared again.
1: And he, correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, was also the one who offered them directions on which way to go to find the house. Is that right? I believe so, yeah. But the strange thing is, they were told that after 1789, when the grounds were open to the prying eyes of the public... It was government-owned land at that point, and the only directive given to tourists was just be out by dark. So they were told later, the women, to be clear, that no one would have been giving them specific directions in that part of the grounds. They would have been free to wander as they like. So it's very odd that this frantic man would tell them specifically which way to go. Another strange piece of evidence is that a footman appeared, at the house, the three-story Petit on house, and he came out of a door and slammed it very hard and noticeably. Yet that door had been locked for years and years, and only one man had the key and had never opened it that day. And when Miss Lamont returned
0: by herself on her own visit, she heard this strange, low-pitched, repetitive music. And so she wrote down what she could remember, and she brought them to a music expert who listened to it, did some research, and dated them to a melody from around 1780.
1: And it was a distinctive melody because there had been, as he said, a mistake in the notes, and it was very distinctive of a particular composer. Sacchini, I believe. Right. So very telling. And it's, It seems like all of these points of coincidence, as the women said, whose real names, I'm sure they won't mind if I reveal since they are deceased, are Charlotte Anne Moberly and Eleanor F. Jordan. They said it couldn't be coincidental. They were dead certain that they had time traveled back to 1789 Versailles. And the fact that they did come from such respectable backgrounds
0: gave people pause. Moberly's father was the Bishop of Salisbury. They were both daughters of clergymen. They were both very well educated and the idea that they wouldn't be
1: telling the truth, it seemed entirely implausible. And for a while, their academic status added merit to their report. And then sentiment turned a bit, and people started to think that they were two women who wanted so badly to believe what they had seen that they did too much research and convinced themselves of the ghosts of Trianon. And one man in particular found fault with them. In 1950, W.H. Salter investigated the letters they had originally written to the Society for Psychical Research in 1901, and he found that they didn't contain nearly as many details as their 1906 account did. And so he was one of the primary voices saying, look, they just went too far with their research. They may have seen something strange, but they have completely inflated it. It's not true.
0: And Salter was a fellow of the Royal Society, so his words did carry weight. And he also made the claim that perhaps it was just yet another Marie Antoinette fixation, like that of the medium Alain Smith, which had been exposed in the press not too long before that.
1: So whether you choose to believe the time slip ghost story or not, Marie Antoinette is a fascinating figure. And if you want to pick up the book, it's a very slim Little volume. You could finish it in an afternoon. And I, I will warn you that it helps to have a good working knowledge of French reading <laughs> comprehension. It's been quite a while for me. And so I had to skip over a few passages. And I was remarking to Katie how disappointed I was because a lot of their evidence hinges on these, um, these French passages. One of the women would write, but then I learned that colon, long French passage and I was convinced. And I thought, well, I wish I could be convinced too. <laughs> I and, really miss that one. <laughs> and just as a
0: little bit of an epilogue, um, critic Terry Castle writes in The Female Thermometer and also in The Apparitional Female, I believe, um, that perhaps this was a bit of a lesbian folie a deux, which folie a deux is basically um, infectious insanity, which is when two people have the same psychosis. And she believed that Moberly and Jourdain, who did live together for 23 years after the incident, had perhaps repressed homosexual longings, and that they identified with Marie Antoinette, who also had many homosexual rumors about her and the Madame de Polignac and the Princess Lamballe, and that that was why this was something that was so important to them.
1: Well, that is certainly an interesting reading and whether or not it colors your interpretation of the ghost story. I know some people sometimes believe that ghosts try to communicate more with people who they believe will be sympathetic to their interests. So that could be a connection. But in the meantime, if you want to learn more about Marie Antoinette and Versailles, as well as the French Revolution, we invite you to look at those articles on the website HowStuffWorks.com.